0: It's the Skinny Podcast,
1: only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Weekly Pope pre edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we look at some sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national sports topic or two. We're right back smack dab into the gambling segment. We've got we've got a lot of stuff for today's segment. And, of course, my favorite segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. I mean any topic. You just go to Twitter and hit the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. Rick, how are we today?
0: Uh, skinny, it's I can feel it. Tomorrow morning, I will be headed over to Lawrenceburg. Oh, There's boy. a full slate of games to, to work with, but we've got our first college football action this weekend. I can't wait. I mean, this I, is can, the can, best can, time of the year.
1: I can do one off the top. I, I think I can do two off the top. Of can you give me? There's five games, I believe, on the board for college football this weekend. Can you give me two lines off the top of your head? I can do two. Uh, the Illinois
0: <laughs> game is the yes. big one.
1: Yes, Nebraska is a seven-point favorite at Illinois, and Thank UCLA you. is an 18-point favorite at home against Hawaii. And there are three other nondescript n- games of note. Hey, there is, by the way, though, starting Friday, there's a handful of NFL preseason games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If you want to kind of mix and match them all together, degenerates –
0: Oh, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. We have no more weekends left without football in our lives for the foreseeable future. And that's a heartwarming feeling.
1: So Rick, real quickly, before we get in the podcast, speaking of gambling, I, I made a stop at our favorite place. Um, I did not um, do anything on my app. I, I wanted to, I had a ticket I had to cash from a couple of months ago. So I went into, to, it's one of the bigger golf events of the year um, as they're in the, they're, they're in playoff time. So I decided I was going to make some golf bets. And I also put together then a five team baseball parlay. That was closing last night to the San Diego Padres getting a run and a half. (laughs) And for those who maybe didn't see the game just ended shortly before we did this podcast (laughs) right before we started, Uh, the Padres were winning for a good chunk of the game. It goes to extra innings. I still have the home team getting a run and a half when they always get a chance to start with a guy on second base. And in 16 innings in a game that ended, I believe, at about 4 o'clock Eastern time, I fell, a lo- fell long asleep. I woke up to look at my phone and go, you've got to be kidding me. The Padres lost 5-3, to three, which means my run and a half that would have covered that parlay ends up losing. Not gonna lose sleep over. It. Didn't lose a whole lot of money over. It. But when you go to bed, feeling pretty good that you're gonna hit that parlay with the home team getting a run and a half, and you wake up, that's kind of a kick in the gut.
0: Yeah, I hate to tell you, you're not gonna get a lot of sympathy from Reds fans on that one.
1: No, so. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I'm not. Well, see, here's the thing. I kind of was. I kind of hedged my bets there. I, I liked the number at the run, and getting a, it was Blake Snell getting a run and a half, and I still thought, well, the Padres can still lose, and I can still cover my play, right?
0: Right. Well, that should have been what happened. That quite should honestly, should have been what happened. Yes. Yeah. That didn't work out that way, which brings yeah. us to our first topic. After back-to-back losses to the Brewers, the Reds are just a game up on the Padres for the NL second wild card spot as we head into Thursday night's game, thanks to the loss that you just mentioned, as well as two others back-to-back for the Padres. The big news of the week for the Reds came on Tuesday night, though, when just five pitches into his return to the club after being sidelined for nearly two months with forearm issues, TJ Antone left the game with what's being termed a right forearm strain. The team brought up utility man Max Schrock to take Anton's place for the time being. But, Skinny, what do you think the Reds should do long-term on the back end of this bullpen?
1: Who do you think they should call up? Um, I, I think I wait until September the 1st because we're only a handful of days away, but I think one of those two call-up spots goes to either Nick Lodolo or goes to Hunter Green. Uh, I, I think if, you, if you're in it to win it, and those guys, I think we can safely say are um, – among your still, even though they're prospects still among maybe your better arms and certainly your better options at this point. I honestly think you've got, you've got to bring one of those two kids up. Hunter Green has thrown 93 pitches in AAA this year. Uh, not, excuse me, 93 innings in AAA. Um, you know, if he gets in eight or nine more Reds games, you're throwing nine more innings on top of him 100 Is hundred innings going to kill Hunter Green at this point. Now, you could also argue Lodolo gives you a lefty arm in which, you know, right now David Bell doesn't trust a single left-hander. And why right. Woody. Um, you know, they designated Sean Doolittle for assignment, even though Doolittle honestly, I, I know you don't like him a whole lot, but he I think you will agree with you. he had outpitched Amir Garrett, right or wrong. He had out yeah. I mean he had outpitched him. And I get why they kept Amir Garrett, but um, but he doesn't trust any lefty. You know, the other part though is are you gonna throw Nick Lodolo into the relief role when you know long term there's no question he's a starter? I've been one that's questioned whether or not Hunter Green's best role is as a, a closer long term. Um, I, I think I think you have to bring one of those two guys up. You have to.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you start talking about service time and all those types of things. With with Hunter Green, uh, it's I a situation only, only where just... he has to be out of the forty man roster either way this off season, right? Uh, not, so not,
1: right, right, and they and they and they're they're good there with spots. I think they're three under the forty man right now.
0: Yeah, right. They have plenty of yeah. they no, They don't have to worry about that at all. But they would have to add green or Lodolo to the 40 man, so, but, but green's going to have to be added either way this off season. Right, so you're right. not, you're not wasting any time there with green. It makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm telling you, if if, if,
1: if if you don't make one of those moves in all honesty, and the bullpen is what cost you in September, it's hard to look this fan base, you know, square in the eye and, and have them believe you on anything at that point.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it really shouldn't be about service time and options and those nope. types of things nope. when you're talking about a race to make the playoffs. But even when you start factoring those things in with Hunter Green, it still makes all the sense in the world to bring him up. How concerned would you be about the fact that both of those guys have been starters? They've been taking the ball every fifth day and they've moved so quickly. They went from A quickly up to AAA, and now you'd quickly be bringing them up to the majors. Is there a concern there that they're just it's not, too not, much of an adjustment period?
1: Nah, no, not for me. Um, I, I get some of that. Uh, but if we think they're going to be an integral part of next year and they've already kind of proven themselves in the minors this year, I mean, the minors really end on September 1st, other than some teams that play in in, in playoffs that nobody cares about other than the people in those cities. I mean, at it, it, the point that we believe they're a factor into next year's pitching staff next year kind of begins in September for a lot of teams anyway. And, and for this team, it, 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 it really begins for a chance to make the playoffs. So no, I, no, they, have they've. It, it's not like you've, you've taken these guys and you're thinking, Hey, there's still another year in the minors away. And I'm going to go ahead and fast track them. No, you now are factoring them into next year. And if you're not, I can't imagine that That I can't imagine that you're not, I think at that point, if you're factoring them into next year, anyway, then what's, what's wrong with September. Let's, let's see what they got. And if they can help you too, let's see what they got.
0: The biggest thing to me is you cannot bring up, ryan hendricks or cnl perez again you can't no, bring up one no. of these guys who have proven that they have no shot at getting guys out at this level they don't have the stuff they don't have the confidence there's no reason for that it'd be incredibly insulting to this fan base it, it, it has to be one of those two guys or there is one other name which i'm a little surprised they didn't bring up right now in uh darry Moreda, who's pitched really really well at triple a he was down at Double A earlier too, right. and pitched well there. So I, I could see maybe trying him. He's the guy who hasn't gotten an opportunity out of those other Triple A names right now. But if it's not one of those three guys it's going to be really insulting to this fan base
1: yeah and and the thing i wonder about too is they obviously opted when when they put anton back on the il and brought up they brought up a, a, a position player max schrock and not a pitcher that's what makes me wonder that listen today as we do this podcast is the 26th we're only a handful of days away from you know being able to add to the roster and that's where i think that that's what that's what we're waiting on and i think it's gotta i think it's gotta be one of the two that the the, the Between Hunter Green and Nick Ladolo. And I'm leaning towards Hunter Green. I I don't care what you say 100 miles and 102 miles an hour is going to get some big league guys out. It just is. That's that's the thing,
0: especially when you're telling one of them to make the jump from a starter to a reliever. To me, it's easier for the guy with elite stuff to go out there and throw max effort for 18 to 25 pitches and, and get them out of there than it is the guy who's a little bit more of a pitcher. That you know probably needs more a little bit more time a little bit more rhythm and feel. Ladol has good stuff too. I'm not at all knocking his stuff. But when you've got a guy like Green who just has beyond elite stuff, I think those are the guys that are easiest to just say, "Hey, go in and throw throw everything you've got, and we'll take our chances."
1: Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And like I said, you're not overly taxing Hunter Green. He's at 93 innings for the year. Let's assume what what do they got? What, I don't even know what their record is at the top of my head. What do they got left? Like 34 games, 33 games, something like that. I mean, if he appears in a quarter of those, a third of those, you're talking about eight to 10 games. Again, you're not going to throw him for more than an inning. You're talking about another eight to 10 innings. Is that really going to tax this kid? I mean, really?
0: No. And I I don't think that really should be the concern right now at this point. I guess you can get into some nature of, are you worried about ruining one of these guys' confidence by by putting them into a a tough situation like this in a race, in the bullpen where they're not used to. But for me, everyone makes a big deal out of
1: that. I've never thought it's that big of a deal to go from being a starter. Let, let, to a let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And and, and there's a couple of things here too. If if I'm first round draft pick Nick Lodolo and I'm whatever he was number two or three or whatever pick Hunter Green was overall, um, I want that challenge of being in the big leagues now. I'm not scared of it. I'm not. Of course. I, I want that challenge. So I'm not worried about them getting their confidence shaken up, uh, but by any stretch of the imagination. So and and I'm you know, there, there used to be a formula for a lot of, teams. I don't know if it was a formula was the right word. A lot of teams would bring up young pitchers at the end of seasons, pitch them some out of the bullpen in pennant races, and then knowing they'd be starters, you know, coming down the road. You know, I think David Price came up that way with, with the, uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. I think they used him in the bullpen um, the first go round just to get his feet wet. I think Johan Santana for the twins back when the twins were a playoff caliber team back in the day, uh, I think he came up that way. And they're not the only ones there's, there's, there's teams that have done that. So you know, again, remember the Reds wrote up a as Chapman with still the long-term idea he was going to be a starter. Right. He was just so damn electric out of the bullpen that it was like, hey, this guy's just closer material. Let's do that. Did it hurt his career? Has he done okay for his career?
0: Yeah, he, he's been pretty good. And I know a lot of people are a little bit worried about that with Hunter Green, that they don't want it to be a Chapman. They want him to be the ace of the future for the Reds. And I don't I, see, I don't see it really. I mean, I understand that feeling of people wanting that to happen. I also get your sentiment of, hey, a guy who with with throwing a hundred and five miles an hour, it's tough to put him through all those innings and all those starts. I get that aspect of it too, so I, I can see both sides. But either way, this doesn't negate that. Like this doesn't right. prevent no, right. him from being a starter. Yeah, either next way, year yes. Or farther no. down the line, so I I think Hunter Green is the guy. If you're asking me, I, I would yeah. just go with him trust the fact that 105 miles an hour is going to be enough to get some guys out just on its own, whether he knows what he's doing or he's able to locate or not. And hopefully, you know, he, he finds a groove and can really anchor the back of this bullpen because to be quite honest, it hasn't really gotten much better despite them trying to, to make some moves.
1: And the thing for both the guys we're talking about, Rick is, um, you know, obviously Hunter green got derailed early in his career with the, with the, you know, Tommy John surgery, but he certainly has bounced back nicely is, the fact that they've answered the bell every rung up along the way, right? I mean, Hunter yeah. Green dominated double A, got off to that rocky start a little bit in triple A, where he had that weird first start where he gave up three homers in the first and then still struck out what eight guys in four innings or whatever it was. Um, and and then since that point in time has pitched well, Nick Lodolo has gone from college into pitching, um, you know, at, at the alternate site into, um, into double A, I mean, dominated double A, going up and, and pitching well in triple. I mean, th- they've answered the bell all along the way. So I, I, I'm ready. I think they're, they're, they're ready for the next challenge. Just, you know, I, 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 I just can't imagine you'll bring one of those two kids up. I can't imagine. it.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think especially with this season and the way it's played out, the, the storylines of the narratives that the front office hasn't given the manager and the roster enough to work with throughout the year. I, I can't see them shortchanging them again and not giving them,
1: no, and, prospects. Yeah, and the and the, and the thing I would say is, you know, to their credit, they rebuilt the bullpen. Michael Gibbons has been a good addition. Sessa, for the most part, has been a good addition. And you felt when Antone came back and the way Lorenzen had been pitching that, okay, finally he's got some answers down there. Well, then Lorenzen has his you know first really bad outing since he's come back to yeah, the yeah, That's struggled okay.
0: That game too, and
1: Givens struggled that game too. And okay, that, that that's all well and good. But it felt like you got the bullpen at least to to a not not even just a serviceable point, but to a point where you feel good with the lead in the seventh inning. Well, you lost now a key part of that Nantone. You better replace him with a key arm. And one of those key arms that the guys we're talking about.
0: One of the other big storylines in Reds country, according to John Heyman of MLB Network, right fielder Nick Castellanos, quote, likely will opt out of the remaining two years and $34 million on his contract to become a free agent after the 2021 season ends. I don't know that we really needed a report on that. I think most of us assumed that already, but right. Skinny, do you make anything of that report coming out right now?
1: No, that's probably just a, a preemptive. hey, just a reminder, we're gonna do this thing to other teams around baseball as they start to prepare for their off seasons. Um, so I get it, but i I know I know this will be unpopular because they're in a in a in a playoff race. I still would have traded him at the deadline and and rolled the dice with the with the outfielders I got now. I didn't know at that time Jesse Winker would have gotten hurt and I may be playing with fire, but I still, you knew this was coming. I mean, nobody didn't think this was coming. I I, I'm going to stand by. I wanted to get, I would have wanted to get something for him. Now you can also get the compensatory pick, I guess. And I I do understand some of that, but I still would have rather have gotten some, some prospects. I think you could have dangled that guy and gotten some major, 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 major prospects out of it.
0: For the people who, I don't know if there was anyone out there, but thought that he might not opt out. Look, he's going to get, 17 million for the next two years, no matter what. Right. So that was never even th- that two years, 34 million never mattered. It was, right. wasn't going to happen. He's not going to accept a qualifying offer from the Reds either. Yeah. And
1: I get it. I'm and, not blaming him. You know,
0: I'm- he shouldn't. I mean, he's going to make really, really good money. I think MLB trade rumors just came out with a, a power rankings of the top 10 free agents that they believe will be available this coming off season. And, and he was number 10 overall. And, I think the second best outfielder overall. So, you know, I like he is going to be highly sought after. He's going to make a ton of money. And quite honestly, it's not quite the Trevor Bauer situation. The Reds will probably be able to, to make an offer, but they're not likely to be able to resign him.
1: That's right. No, they're they're not. Um, And I get those in, you're on the camp. You're, you're opposite me in this thought, I get the thought of, hey, listen, keep him here and and, and let him finish the season because you're in the playoff race. I fully do understand that, but I also know that i got to ha- have an eye on the future in addition to an eye on the now, and I, I would have rolled the dice with whatever I could have put in the outfield. And I know that's that's it's easy to say I'm stupid for that and I'm fine. I'll take the bullet for it, but I still would have wanted to get something for him at the trade deadline because, I, like I said, I think you could have gotten something significant for him.
0: No, I mean, that was actually my take at the time too, of course, I did not believe that this team was going to compete for the playoffs. I mean, I just, I did not think they were going to make a run at this. So I'll give them credit for uh, believing in the idea that the team was going to, to stay in it. But that being said, they really didn't do anything to make a run either. Like they just kind of stood pat and did nothing. It was inaction all the way around with this team since last off season. So I, I really don't want to go too far into uh, congratulating the front office for, for doing anything here. They've really just let everything play out on its own. And this is the situation they found themselves in. And and I guess kudos to them for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just think that anybody thought that he was going to resign here or stay here or not opt out was was crazy. And they're just he's, he's going to price himself out of the market. And that's OK. And I guess here's what you do then. You know what? You, you just enjoy the, the last month plus And hopefully they do make a run in the playoffs with him. And then you can enjoy that part of it and and, you know, tip your cap and say thanks for the couple of years. You got us to the playoffs twice. And, uh, you know, uh, thanks for thanks for your service. And, you know, hopefully Nick Senzel can be the Nick Senzel, we hope, down the road and fill that void in the outfield in the future. I don't know really how much hope for that.
0: <laughs> no, nor do I. All right, let's head to Paul Brown Stadium, where it was announced this week that Joe Burrow will make his preseason debut this Sunday. Burrow is expected to get a limited number of snaps against the Miami Dolphins, according to head coach Zach Taylor. Taylor said it's what's best for Burrow and for the team, and also said that it'll be as smart as possible with play calling and limiting Burrow. Skinny, do you think it matters at all that Burrow is going to see the field on Sunday? We've talked so much about it, but... Is it really going to matter at all?
1: Okay, I'm. I got. I got two two takes on this. Yeah, I think it does. Based on the way they kind of phrased it, of just Joe getting in the huddle, being out there with the guys, letting them hear him in the huddle, letting him hear you know how the plays are going to be called. And he said, it's you know, it, it's different on game day and and di- than it is from from practice. So I, I do get some of that. But could they be any less transparent of an organization that on the same day that they announced that Joe Burrow is going to play within 45 minutes, they sent out an email that says, buy tickets, Joe Burrow is going to play. I mean, literally, I've got the email. In fact, I'm going to call it up. I, I, I meant to do that because I knew we were going to have a topic about Joe Burrow playing. Here it is. This the, 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 So the announcement was made at uh, about 12. It was a little earlier than normal. About 12.20 was when Zach Taylor announced it. And I asked him point blank, what's, you know, what, what's Joe's status? And he answered the question, Joe's going to play all that. And, and now they, they also both said, and it feels very scripted. They both said that, ah, this was in the works all along. We were all, well, that's not what you said at the luncheon. That's not what your owners said at the luncheon. Um, so don't tell me this was in the works all along. Yeah. We told Joe two weeks ago that, that, yeah, this was a, this was a probability. Um, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm, I'm in that, that ilk of. You're just trying to get a few extra ticket sales because maybe they weren't so good. And, hey, within, let's see, one forty three p.m. is when the email went out. Get your first look at Joe Burrow of the 2021 season. Buy tickets. I mean, can you be any less transparent? Come on now.
0: I like conspiratorial, Skinny. So you're saying that they are starting Joe Burrow as a directive from the ticket booth saying, Hey, uh, we need to exactly
1: I, I And listen, <laughs> and, and you can play Joe in a safe manner. And, and I, and that, that part I do believe, and I do believe that some of the narrative of it's still important for him to be out there, be with the guys. I, so I believe all that, but, but what took you till Wednesday of this week to make that decision? I mean, Honestly, you could have done it on Sunday. You could have done it two weeks ago. That yeah, our plan is to play Joe. If that was your plan, Joe. Uh, Joe's stance was yesterday was ah, we just want we we just want to let you guys know uh, that we didn't want to you know we we yeah we've I've known this for a while. Baloney. I think it was an absolute concocted nonsensical story. Um, it, 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 it listen again, him playing all well and good. He's not going to do anything. He's going to probably hand off twice and throw a bubble screen to Jamar Chase so we can see Jamar Chase actually catch a ball. So I, I think all of that makes sense. I get it. But it's just so it's so not transparent. It's so scripted that it makes me want to vomit.
0: So I actually agree with all that, except for I I I think this is not actually I think it was in the plans and in the works. But this is the NFL and coaches doing what they do and being weird and stupid and thinking like they need to keep things a secret to be. Yeah. Drama <laughs> funny, or sure, whatever but, reason, I don't yeah, know man, what it is, but they do this stuff all the time. Where they like think they've got a high, you know, like college coaches not telling people who their starter is until right. like the day of the game when everyone knows for months who it's going to be. That yeah,
1: place. I can imagine Brian Flores now going, "Oh Christ, Burrow's going to take four snaps. Find some tape on this guy, quick!
0: Come on." <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no. I and also i I don't think it matters a whole lot either way i mean how much can well, you really figure out from you can't three plays if, with but but for burrow if it makes him feel better by right. all means let him do
1: it yes exactly that and again that part i fully agree with I, I fully agree with the fact that letting him play is probably the right thing to do and they, they can do it in a safe manner like it's going to be literally two handoffs him in the shotgun throwing one to jamar to go hey here's the connection fans see it there's our guys Uh, that's fine but but don't be don't don't suddenly for 30 minutes 45 minutes to an hour whatever the health time frame was after this announcement you send out the email of come see joe burrow play you're not going to see joe burrow play you're going to see him hand off twice and throw a bubble screen get a beer come to the game leave after 15 minutes seriously are you that desperate for ticket sales well maybe you are
0: Uh, apparently the answer is yes Well, skinny rookie pass rusher Joseph Asai had been one of the Bengals' biggest bright spots of the preseason, but late in the third quarter of last Friday's game against Tampa Bay, he suffered a wrist injury, and then it was revealed this week that he also has a meniscus tear and will likely miss the entire season. At least those are per reports. Zach Taylor still hasn't confirmed any of that yet. It's weird. That's weird to me, too. That is bizarre, especially considering he's probably had the surgery already if it's yeah no
1: from from what i was told i think he had the surgery yesterday if not the day before my days all run together right so so. i don't know maybe he was waiting to see what the result of that was to determine if it was enough to um you know when he's going to talk about joseph's situation of either out for the season or we think joseph can come back maybe the last month maybe that's what he was waiting for he, now he did to his credit on sunday he confirmed that there was a knee issue he didn't confirm and any meniscus tear didn't confirm a surgery um but did confirm the knee issue but yeah i mean this just keeps lingering it's just it's nothing weird it's just weird that's all it is weird how big
0: of a loss is this for the Bengals defense and how much does it impact others on that defensive front
1: that impacts them a lot um and i I don't want to call it a, like a monumental loss, but my word, the, the, the brief period of time, you got a chance to see him play against Tampa. He was a wrecker and I was looking so forward to the pass rush group of, of, of cam sample and Sam Hubbard down inside on third downs and, and, and Osai and Trey Hendrickson coming off the edge on third downs. Yeah. Um, That's not going to happen now. And so, yeah, it does affect some things. I I, I think, you know, you can do some, 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 some games still, you know, Darius Hodges looked really good rushing the passer and he's, he's, he did it the other night against Washington against their starters, where he put a couple of pressures on uh, Zach Taylor laughed and he's right. He said, you know, one of them, he came unblocked. Um, So that always helps, but he did put some pressure on at least coming unblocked. Um, But I think that kids look good. And um, you know, we'll see what Noah Spence gives them. So, yeah, but I think it does affect, because I think, you know, you had your, your pass rush group that you really, felt like all right this group's gonna put some pressure on now you could also argue that maybe now on passing situations Hubbard stays outside and it's it's Ogan Joby and Cam Sample inside and with Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard because Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard have been great on any down they've played in camp and in, in preseason so maybe that changes it some but I think Osai really had I mean honestly I I think I told you this after that preseason game I if I asked you without knowing what happened in the last year from a Bengals roster perspective who number 58 was watching okay. him play you'd go Oh, it's still Carl Lawson. Well, no, it's not, but it sure looked like it. Yeah, well,
0: the way I saw it, too, and granted, Osai hasn't done anything yet. I mean, he's still a a total unknown. Now, we were really impressed with what we saw in short glimpses of him, and I was really excited about the upside that that could potentially bring to this defense. But part of that was the thinking that, okay, yeah, you got Trey Hendrickson, and in my opinion, that was a replacement for Carl Lawson. That wasn't... That wasn't getting you ahead of the game. Your defense stunk last year with Carl Lawson. So, well,
1: see, but some of it, some of it too was, and I think that's where I'm going back to. Of, of I, I think that they they didn't get any pressure up inside. So, I think right. the whole hope was you 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 put you know an Ogunjobi and a and a Hubbard or a Hubbard and a Sample inside with Hendricks and an Osai on the outside. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, now you got something. You got two guys screaming off the edge and two guys who can put some pressure up in the pocket and are long and can get some hands on some balls. I think that was that was going to be the difference in this pass rush.
0: Exactly right. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. But Hendrickson, to me, was a replacement for Carl Lawson. You were just getting back to even your defense was going to be even worse if you lost Carl Lawson this offseason after being so bad last season. So you get Hendrickson. That's great. You filled that hole to get back to to where you were. But if all of a sudden you had another dude in a side, the way he was looking Oh, now now you've really improved that pass rush. Now you've really got something going. I'm not saying you know they might not have something in Darius Hodge. I'm excited to see what Cam Sample can bring as, as he continues to progress and stuff. I'm not saying th- they're going to be terrible and they can't get through this with the guys they have. But with Osai, if he was really going to yeah, blossom no, no. into this, this high-impact guy right away, it gave your defense, especially your pass rush, so much more upside. And that was exciting for this year because... To be quite honest, I don't have a lot of hopes for this Bengals' defense, and and he was oh, giving I do. me I, a I think, bit I, more.
1: I do. I think that's the side of the ball that's going to surprise people. I do. I think it's. I think it's. It's got a chance to be a pretty good group. I oh, really I hope, believe that.
0: I, I hope you're right about that, but I, I think there's still plenty of question marks. I, I,
1: th- I think the corners are, are so much better. It's it's night and day. I've, I've seen Von Bell improve his coverage skills, at least in camp. I mean, it's something that he admitted he stunk at last year. It was pretty – I'm glad he was at least enough to look himself in the mirror because we could all see that. Um, so he took it he said he looked – watched every pass rep that he played last year and some of the things technique-wise that he didn't do that he really wanted to work hard on to improve on. And I mean, he's gotten his hands on a bunch of balls. He jumped the route the other day and intercepted Joe Burrow. He got lucky on another one that went through, uh, went through the hands of, of Jamar Chase in the end zone that he intercepted. But he's been around the football a bunch. We know what Jesse Bates can do. I mean, Awuja is, a. honestly, I think he's an upgrade over William Jackson, and I think Mike Hilton's an upgrade over Mackenzie Alexander by a long shot. And if Trey Waynes can just be even with Darius Phillips, um, you've really upgraded there. I, I think this defense has a chance to be pretty darn, I'm not talking like elite good, but certainly if you feel like you've got an offense and can, can score in the mid-20s to high 20s, which you think this offense should be able to do, I think this defense is going to keep you in a bunch of games.
0: Here's the other thing that, Bothers me about Osai going out. I was two weeks ago. I was starting to think about this draft by the Bengals, and you're starting to go, man, they might really have some some depth in this thing. When you're, you're excited about the first two picks, that was kind of the plan going in. But then, if Osai was going to be a guy, and Dante Smith was playing well, McPherson, everyone's excited Chris, about Chris. Chris Evans. Chris Evans looks really good. All of a sudden, you got Darius Hodges an undrafted free agent. You're really starting to see some depth there now this week yeah you think so, about so, it so, yes yeah. i Ch- goes down jamar chase is rusty and can't catch a damn football <laughs> jackson, jackson carmen's a third string project so now it's like yeah. you have nothing out of this year's draft i mean yeah you got well, you got, got, you got mcpherson guys, you, but you got you got mcpherson but i mean come on you know what i mean like you know, just when you start to feel good about things with this franchise this is how it always happens the rug just gets yanked right out from under you yeah no i you got mcpherson
1: God Have I said person. that yet?
0: You got, I, I will say, Chris Evans does look good. I said that after the first preseason game, he continued to look really good in the second one, so I am excited about him still.
1: He, he does, and he's going to get about five snaps a game, so yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah,
0: great. A, a lesser used uh geo, great, yes, that's right, that's correct. <laughs> Let me ask you about the Jamar Chase thing because that was a big topic of conversation, too. I, I don't think it's a long term concern, but at this point, there has to be some. Immediate concern about how much of an impact guy he's going to be this year if he's this rusty, right?
1: Yes, um, it, it it doesn't look like he's comfortable making tight window catches right now in game speed. Now the last couple of days of practice, I mean, it was so uncanny, Rick. I mean, we all watched it on on Friday, him dropping the three targets at him that that was glaring. So Sundays, you know, they were off Saturday, travel day, and all that, and a mandatory day off. So Sunday's the first practice back, and it was just uncanny that the first two passes thrown to him one over the middle in the middle of a zone, which, you know, you go up in the middle of a zone, the mind thinks you're about to get whacked by a safety, right? Drops that one. Problem was there was no safety around him, so it was an easy catch. Then he makes a nice little route along the back of the end zone in a seven-on-seven drill. Joe throws a dart into a tight window. It goes in and out of his hands, and that's the one I mentioned, Von Bell intercepted. And you're thinking, that's five straight targets my man has not caught, four in tight windows, and the other one in a window that I think he thought was tight. Um, This is obviously now a mental thing. Now I will say Tyler Boyd T Higgins got trotted out there on, on Tuesday to talk or Wednesday to talk with all these days run together on what the hell day was that Tuesday, I guess. No Wednesday to talk with us. No today, Tuesday, Monday, <laughs> Jesus, Tuesday, we're off Monday to talk with us. I, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my mind with all these, the, 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 weird off days. Usually the regular season's easy. Tuesday's the off day, Wednesday, Thursday, the main practice days, Friday, walkthrough through. Saturday, walk through travel day, Sunday game, Monday recovery day. And it starts the new week with a Tuesday day off. So I usually regular season I get anyway, those guys talk about struggling with some of their drop issues and, and it, it happens to wide receivers. Jamar did have a couple of good days of practice, but um, he still needs to do it in some games. And I think he still needs to prove it to himself that he can do it in, in, in games. It was funny. Um, Paul Daner of the athletic and I were walking out of practice on that Monday and some guys were, were, some I think it was Eric uh, I'm sorry, it was uh, Kyle Shermer was throwing some passes and he was throwing it to an assistant coach I won't name because it was it was kind of funny the way he said it. So one of the passes slipped through the assistant coach's hands and rolled back towards Paul and I. He's like, "Catch the football." I said, "Oh man, your hands are probably sweaty." He goes, he goes, "Catch the football. It's not that hard." And I thought and we kind of laughed and he kind of knew what we were laughing at and I know what his reference was to. His reference was to Jamar Chase. So that was that was pretty that was pretty interesting to me. So um, yeah, he's got to do it in games. I, I won't be concerned until I see him start to do it consistently in the consistently in the regular season. But I will tell you that if it does begin in the regular season, I think you have to open yourself up to the idea of Auden Tate taking a bunch of his snaps instead. And that's still a big if, I mean, he might come out in the opener and go five for 93 and not drop a ball and go, that's the guy we were, we were looking at, but let's not forget, I mean, T Higgins last year. Didn't have a target in the opener. Some of that was he was coming off the hamstring. Um, really didn't didn't do a whole lot impact-wise until really you go to that Eagle game where he had two touchdowns and boom, suddenly he took off. Uh, A.J. Green, his rookie year, um, the first game he ever played, as great as he was, and we know how great he was, first game he had one catch. Now he caught the winning touchdown pass in that first game, but his opening game he had one catch. So I think some of this too is, I think our expectations, and that includes my expectations, were maybe so over the moon of, Jamar Chase is just going to take this, take this league by storm. No, nah, no, nah, this is still the NFL, man. There's still some grown ass men on the other side that have seen the Jamar chases of this world and can cover them. And so there is some adjustment to it, but right or wrong, it's still glaring to watch him have five straight targets thrown his way and him drop all five.
0: Yeah. In the micro, I'm glad that, you know, initially there's been, there's been talk about him being rusty ever since he got to Cincinnati. I and mean, he immediately- talked about being rusty. Right. I mean, so that this wasn't a huge surprise, but initially there was uh, the beginning of camp. It was like people were talking about he's not getting open. The ball hasn't even been thrown his way and then he's not catching it. Now it's he's getting a lot of targets. I mean, it seems like Burrow is, is seeking him out. He seems to be getting open a decent amount and they're throwing the ball his way. He's just dropping some of them. I'm less concerned about that than I was initially. The I mean, I, I feel like. He can figure out the catching the ball thing again. It's not like that was a huge problem for him as a college prospect. So I like to assume it's just rust. From the macro perspective, though, looking at the Bengals' drafting strategy this year, you're saying, well, we shouldn't expect Jamar Chase to come in and take the NFL by storm because it's still the NFL. Well, if that's the case, then why the hell were you drafting that guy?
1: Because the, the long-term, the macro is – Long term, he is going to be that right. dynamic guy. But the plan, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you something. This year, let me tell to you something too. Joe Burrow, uh, correct. Penae Soul has stunk in Detroit. Stunk. But Sean Slater looks great. Yeah, but it was pretty much a Penny Soul versus Jamar Chase, right or wrong. It really was. That was that was the debate. But
0: Penny Soul is also probably going to start right away, and Jackson Carmen is about to be a third stringer. So understood that. I mean, you're still the, the plan of action here. Penae Soul would have started, but
1: Penny Soul wouldn't have started here the way he's playing. Oh, I disagree with that. I think, yeah. Oh, has my God, he's been start. he's been terrible. I, it, do, it doesn't matter. He'd still dude, be starting dude, here. Trust, trust me. They so wanted Jackson Carmen to start. They, Xavier Suofilo would have still beaten out Penny Sul or, or Riley Reef would have beat out. Well, it wouldn't have matter because you had Penny Sul would have been playing inside of a guard anyway instead of a tackle. The problem is he's trying to convert to right tackle, and it sounds like the conversion from left tackle to right tackle hasn't worked out very well for him. But neither here nor there. I, I'm not down on Jamar Chase. I'm just telling you, I, I, I still think that you – You're still expecting him to have a productive season. I just think it was we all expected him to hit training camp and just take it by storm and go, "Damn, look how dynamic that cat is." And it just hasn't happened. And maybe it should. Maybe we shouldn't have expected to happen. Well, I think that's on me too. But
0: my point is, you needed to expect it to happen if you were going to take that guy. He had to be that guy right away because if he's not, then your plan made absolutely no damn sense.
1: I will say the coaches still believe in him enough. The fact he's running first team. Yeah, no, and I I like him too.
0: I think he's still going to be good. I'm actually probably less worried about Jamar Chase than almost anyone right now. I'm I'm fine with it. But other than Crazy Girl on Instagram. If we if we get to the point where we're midway through this season and Jamar Chase is kind of an afterthought at this point, and Auden Tate is taking most of his snaps, I'm going to have a major problem with the way they drafted them and the strategy they used to get here.
1: Fair enough. I'm gonna let that play out before I'm making a judgment
0: on it. Sure, that's fair. All right, let's switch gears here to the college level, where the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 on Tuesday announced an alliance that ultimately aims to, quote, stabilize a volatile environment throughout college athletics by collaborating on weighty issues facing the industry and agreeing to create a future scheduling partnership. The alliance comes after the news broke last month that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 for the SEC skinny do you think the new alliance will have a big impact on college athletics
1: well let me just start with this i i I honestly the 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 whole conference stuff is just starting to make me nauseous um I, i believe in rivalries i believe in regional rivalries i don't i don't need a watered down eventual 20 team sec which i feel like i'm going to get i just it just doesn't just doesn't feel right i think it I think in the long run it's really going to hurt college football. I, I think in the short term, yeah, it's pretty cool. You got some good teams being added. But here's what I'm gonna tell you about the Alliance. Be careful what you do here because the SEC may not be done and it might just it might just say, you know what, we're just gonna be we don't need a national champion anymore. We're going to play for the SEC championship and it's going to still regenerate a lot of money because we're going to go poach USC and we're going to go poach Oregon and we're going to poach whoever the hell we want to join our giant, giant league. That's going to be financially more stable than the rest of you cats combined. Hell, you know what? We may even go to Ohio state and go, Hey, why don't you guys join us too? Be careful what you're trying to do here. If you're trying to ace the SEC out and I'm not saying it because I hate what's going on period. I hate what the SEC is doing, but if you're going to piss the SEC off enough to where they go, all right, this is where we're going to go. It's going to be you against us. Well, the the us is we're going to go get some more teams, and we're just going to have our giant league and be done with the rest of you. I, I can see it coming. I I hope it doesn't. I understand what these leagues are in theory trying to do. Um, I just I don't know how this gets stopped, other than if eventually fans say, "Yeah, I don't want to see Kentucky playing USC," or "I don't need to see Alabama playing," or "I I don't." I want my regional rivalries. That's what conferences were for. That's what made them so special. The traditions are what made college football so great. And those are all being blown up bit by bit by bit. And I'm not trying to be old guy here. I'm not. But traditions are what make college football great. And it's traditions that started many, many, many years ago and have grown into, you know, even today. And I feel like little by little, we're getting stripped of those because of the almighty dollar. And it sucks.
0: Well, I think the presidents and whoever is involved in making these decisions from an SEC perspective right now, they are just laughing at the Big Ten, yes. ACC, and Pac-12. Like, no, you, they're, no what they're doing is they're going... are throwing your tantrum right yes. now. Are
1: you serious? Because what I'm telling you, I think you'll agree. They're going to look and go, that's fine. We'll take you and you and you and you, and then the rest of you can go to your silly alliance. Have a good day.
0: Yeah, well, and, and they're, they're already in the process of trying to do that. This, th- But this alliance, it's comical. It, it has absolutely nothing. They even said... There's no contract in place. There's nothing that's been signed. It's just gentlemen making an agreement about what we're going to do going forward. Well, in college athletics, that means absolutely nothing. None yeah, of you, you think- care about each other. None of you are looking out for the good of college athletics as That's a whole right. or That's exactly your conference right. mates. You're looking, how are you going to make the most money? So if the SEC offers any of you a better deal than you're currently getting and one you, feel take like it. you can't pass up, you're taking it. You don't care Absolutely. about an alliance. Not to mention, this alliance does nothing. And case in point, today it was announced, LSU and USC will meet to open up the 2024 well, season on Labor that- Day. That's the... Probably the biggest school you had in your freaking alliance is already signed the the day after or two days after you make your announcement. The well, biggest school that's part of your alliance, uh, aside from I guess Clemson, is probably the biggest school in the ACC. Right. Maybe Ohio State, USC is maybe the third biggest. They have now signed a contract to to play an opening day well, game be,
1: because because that, that'll be because that'll be a conference game in twenty twenty four. Well, you're probably right. That, <laughs> no, yeah. no. It, it, but, you know, that's the other part, too, is, you know, these college football schedules are done 10, 12, 14 years in advance. Some of these teams have already scheduled. Now, they can always cancel contracts, right? But a lot of these teams have already scheduled each other for the next 10 years in some way, shape, or form. So right. what are we doing? Right.
0: And and the idea that by the time those those games are off the books, the games that have already been scheduled, the idea that this alliance is still going to matter or the, the conferences wouldn't have already shifted – is comical. Like it's not it going to matter no, in four or five years. Like no, it's, it's going to be completely different. These teams no.
1: all have already left. Yeah, it's silly. And like I said, the, the, the only thing you're going to do is you're going to have the SEC say, all right, screw it. Well, you know, we were going to try to do this a little bit slower, but now we're just going to go poach and we're going to make this thing. Our, our mega conference by 2024 and LSU and at USC will be, will be a conference game. Then that, that's all you're going to do with this. If you're going to do this silly Alliance
0: yeah, this was strictly a PR temper yes, tantrum yes, by ADs yes, and presidents who felt yes. like they had to show their people they're doing something. Yes. And it's so funny because everyone has to do it. Like even in Cincinnati, I heard, I was listening to 700 the other day and I can't even remember who it was, but whoever was on there uh, was, was hyping up the idea that this time around UC's president is acknowledging that they need to get to a better conference. They're doing it the right way. They're, they're acknowledging last time they didn't even state it. They they wanted to try to stay together with, with the uh, old Big East teams. And it's like, do you no, think anyone cares right now what you right. see saying they're going to do? No yeah. one's listening to what you see saying right no. now. That's that's
1: right. And, and I will go back to, listen, you can have this alliance and talk about it. But when the almighty dollar comes and, and you know, like I said, the SEC may one day just decide we're going to play a giant SEC four-team, six-team, eight-team tournament, and that's going to declare the, what we think is a national champion. At the end of the day, you still are going to probably have a national championship format of some kind because the money involved is going to be so much. So what did that alliance then do? So, okay, you don't want to play us. That's fine. We'll find a couple extra Mac teams and we'll play an extra conference game and we'll probably have a better crowd for our extra conference game. The only thing that this could possibly help
0: them with. And again, I don't believe that they'll actually all vote together or agree to do the same things when it actually comes down to it. Since this is no real agreement or contract in place. It's just a bunch of guys saying, yeah, we're on the same team now and we all hate the sec is, there seems to be, especially with the name image and likeness bill passing through the NCAA is very hands-off right now. They, yep. they seem to be taking a, a back roll and saying, you guys do what you want. You make your own rules. We're not going to fight you anymore. We're tired of getting sued. So I and think they have, the and, idea and, here is those other three conferences are going to try to prevent the sec from just turning this into total professional sports is the, is the idea here? Like, if they want to pass, oh, we're just going to have 150 scholarship players now because you guys can't compete and we'll take all the good recruits, things of that nature. That's what these conferences are going to try to prevent. I don't know that they're actually going to be able to do no. that if it comes no. down to it, but that's the concept here. And the only actual advantage I can see that's being gained by this quote unquote alliance.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I think it's well said. I Nothing's going to come of this. It's just not.
0: No, totally agree. I mean, it is, it is really a PR temper tantrum is all it is. All right, let's head to our betting segment where, as we mentioned at the top, we've got our first weekend slate of college football games. It's week zero, as they call it. So not a full slate, but there are some teams getting underway, a couple of decent games out there to bet. But it's a good time to look at some of our college football props because next week we'll be getting into actual lines. We'll be talking about Ohio State and UC playing, Kentucky playing. Right now we can kind of look at some of those Prop bets that you might be looking at, or or some of those stats as we head into the season. We'll start with win totals for these three teams. We talk about them as they come out a lot of times, but they change as we get closer to the season, and some of these have changed. We'll start with Ohio State. The win total for Ohio State is 11, and if you take the over, it's minus 115. So there's a little extra juice on that.
1: Man, I mean, that means they got to go undefeated, and I'm looking at the schedule. I mean, they open with Oregon at home. Oregon's rated 11th in the country, but that's at home. They're going to probably be a double-digit favorite. Then Tulsa and Akron at Rutgers, Maryland at home, at Indiana. I think we'll know a little bit more about Indiana when, when they play UC. I mean, if they knock off UC and are impressive in doing so, that could be a hiccup potentially for Ohio State, but I don't see it. They got Penn State, then at Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, and at Michigan, and they own Michigan. I see them. I can see them running the t- I don't see value in making the bet because you're, you're literally betting on them going undefeated. Now, if they lose one game, you push, and I certainly don't see them losing two games. I guess I could lay something on the over there an undefeated 12-0. I, I, I can certainly see that, although I feel like you're landing more towards the push territory.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't bet this either, but the one thing I, I do notice about Ohio State's schedule is none of the big games are on the road. Other than Michigan,
1: but they own Michigan.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't count that as a big game anymore. There, There's yeah. no chance they're losing to Jim
1: Harbaugh. Yeah. Indiana, you don't know. Was Indiana last year a nice little feel good look at Indiana, you know, putting together a nice couple of seasons? Or is that kind of another step into Indiana being at least a dangerous team to play at their place? And yeah, that's I, what I think we'll find out when, when UC plays them.
0: I think that I think Indiana is dangerous. Actually, to me, that's the most dangerous game on this schedule because Indiana's legit team. They're going to be ranked. And you're having to go to their place. I mean, Oregon, you've got at home. M- Minnesota, the first game of the year. Minnesota is not any good, but it's on the road and it's the first game of the year. So you, you want to make sure you get over that hurdle. Yeah, I
1: mean, you got a new quarterback for sure. I mean, that 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 you know that factors in how right. C.J. Stroud handled things. He, he may be great for all. He may hit the ground running for all we know.
0: Yeah, if I'm looking at games that worry me, I mean, maybe the first game against Minnesota – I just don't see them slipping up first home game, even though it's Oregon. No, no, I, that's I not gonna them. happen.
1: And they're gonna be a double digit favorite and probably cover.
0: Yeah. And so so it leaves you with basically, you know, at Rutgers, I'm not worried about it all. So it's no. Indiana at Indiana.
1: And maybe, at Michigan, and it may be at Michigan just because, but maybe Penn Michigan- State
0: at Ohio State just because nah. some people think Penn State's gonna be better this year. But yeah, I mean they're not gonna decide. be challenging Ohio State for not a championship or yeah, anything. Not not in Columbus. Yeah. And I'm not worried about them going to Nebraska. So I, I do think they can run this table
1: fairly easily. And I don't see them see the thing that I think the, the, the reason to maybe make the bet, I know you're staring away from it. I get that. I just don't see two losses. Can I see a loss just because? Sure. And that right. gets me to a push. But I, I can I can make the legitimate case of 12-0, and 0, which makes me go, yeah, I, I think that's worth betting.
0: Good point. And just a reminder, uh, bowl games – Conference championship games do, do not, not count. count. That, that's what so, I think. Okay. Yeah. So
1: you're, you're banking on them running the table. I I think it's a, I don't want to say it's a safe bet, but I think it's a bet worth making because I, I just, I don't see two losses. I see an undefeated champion, undefeated season, far more than will occur than two losses would occur. And the one loss gets me a push and I can live with that. I'd rather get the win, but pushes at least your cash and a ticket there. I think I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah, actually, I think you might have just talked me into that, too, because there's no way they're losing two games, I don't think. So I'm, I'm with you, actually. if You're either winning or you're pushing, and that's good enough for me. So maybe I will consider putting something down on that. Uh, Cincinnati, over-under for them is 10. And we've talked about the schedule a lot. It really feels like it comes down to two games, and that's not just for UC's chances of making a football playoff yeah. Uh, but it also is for them to get this win total. It's basically those two games at Indiana and at Notre Dame back-to-back, not weeks, but back-to-back games.
1: See, the thing is, though, I can make a case for UC running the table, and I've done that, um, and I can make a case for UC losing three games. Those two just because against two good teams on the road and just somewhere else in the league. Right. at At, you know, at South Florida maybe, UCF coming here. It is here, but it's it's still UCF. I could see them, you know, losing. Yeah, you know, Here's the thing I could see, and this, this is going to suck, you know, let's just say they, they play Indiana tough and lose and play Notre Dame tough and lose. And suddenly you look up before you go into conference play and your real hopes for this season are dashed. And your real hopes are, we got a chance to run the table and play for all the marbles. And that's kind of probably the selling point, right or wrong. And that's the player's belief in that, right? You come at that two and two, you kind of feel a little sorry for yourself. I could see them having a hiccup in the league. I think I'm going to stay clear of that bet. I I, I don't, I don't, I, I can make a case for them running the table. And if I can find a prop for them running the table, I might bet the prop on that. Cause you probably get good odds. Um, but for this over under play, I'm going to stay away from it. Well, that's I just, I just, I can see the scenario I just laid out. And again, I can see the scenario of them running the table and I hope that they do. I think it would be awesome to watch and awesome to see. And they certainly are well positioned to do it. And they certainly have the talent level to do it, but you can see, you know, just good games at Indiana and Notre Dame losing no shame in it. You know, you play well, you lose. And they're just, you know, happen to make a few more plays on that particular day. And then at that point you are holding your breath. If you bet the over that they're not going to lose one more game. And at two and two with your hopes of, of playing for everything dashed, that's a kick in the teeth.
0: Yeah. I actually like your idea. I wonder how much a lot of sports books, depending on which one you bet with will let you, do your own line here it, right. and maybe, you know, take it up to 11. I wonder how much that changes your odds. If you take UC up to 11, cause if you can get UC at like, plus, I don't know if it'd go up this much, but like plus plus one fifty at and 11 but, but, wins. I'm considering yeah, that a lot more I w- than I'm I am. The 10.
1: Yes. Agreed. I agree. If I can do that, I, I think I would agree with you.
0: Yeah, no, you, you bring up a good point there. Um, Kentucky, seven this was at six and a half and i really really liked kentucky at six and a half wins uh I what do you too. think about kentucky at seven and actually here's the problem and, and why i will not be betting this at all anymore extra juicy here minus 140 if you take the over seven
1: yeah I, it's funny i've done scenarios in my head where i can get to eight and four at best and it. i think they can i mean. They've got three layups on the schedule. I mean, literally three layups. Yeah, Louisiana Monroe,
0: Chattanooga, yeah. and uh, New
1: Angerbilly. Mexico State. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just, looking, I'm just looking non-league. Yeah. Inside the league, I, I in Louisville, to me, I think they're better than, but that is at Louisville in the last game of the year. You can certainly see them losing that game. They also then have to play at Georgia, LSU at home, Florida. I think South Carolina's trash, but it's on the road. And Mississippi State, I don't think they're great, but it's on the road. I mean, there's a lot of potential 50-50 games. When I can give you four layups, maybe five, Tennessee at home maybe gives me a fifth layup. Oh. Because they're they're, now. I can't call Tennessee
0: a layup for Kentucky. It it, it is,
1: because they've actually started to to, to play Tennessee pretty well. And I think Tennessee's Tennessee has got a long way to go to rebuild. They may rebuild, but it's 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 not going to be there this year. Um, so that to me, especially at home, is a layup. So I've got five what i feel pretty good about wins in the games maybe missouri's a sixth okay so i've gotten the sixth and can i find a seventh probably somewhere if i really dig like at south carolina at mississippi state but i'm finding like probably three automatic losses and three more 50-50 games ah it's a hard over for me and i'm you know me that's that's my team um i want to play the over i probably will just cuz i can have a rooting interest on it but it's not a bet I feel good about, and especially laying extra juice going over seven. I I'm, I might even try to push that total to eight and just hope hope to God they have like the season they had a couple of years ago. They have a chance to be really good. I mean, Wandale Robinson gives them a dynamic receiver. They've got a first-team All-American on the offensive line. Chris Rodriguez is a great running back. Will Levis, the Penn State transfer quarterback, has been great in camp. Uh, defensively, they got a bunch of parts back. I think it has a chance to be a really good team. But – it's still really good, is not gonna beat Georgia, Georgia. It's probably gonna have a tough time with Florida and LSU at home. Um, I'm rooting, I'm hoping, but if I'm being logical and smart, it's hard to go over that seven win total.
0: Yeah. Well, the, I mean, those three games are all back to back to back. And, and that's uh, the other part, right? Florida, LSU, Georgia. Those are three losses. I don't think there's any doubt about that.
1: I don't know. For Florida, it has got some stuff. I mean, they got they lost a bunch, and Kentucky is is has played well with Florida over the last handful of years. And, and honestly, they, they should have beat them a couple of times when, when they had some really weird bad luck go against them to lose. So I, I'm not as down on that Florida game. But again, I'm not telling you I can make it an automatic win to where when, when you go through this, I need to find a bunch of automatic wins and then go, all right, give me a couple of the 50-50s. Ah, I got a bunch of 50-50s, unfortunately.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I don't like those three to me are – losses if i'm doing it for the purposes of making this bet i'm not even giving it 50 50 status so there there you got three losses and then you had like you mentioned four automatic wins i think with monroe chattanooga vanderbilt and new mexico state so then it basically comes down to what do you think they can do against missouri south carolina on the road mississippi state on on the the road road, and louisville on the road
1: and and tennessee 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 and i i I, trust me Tennessee is gonna be terrible
0: yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I just, I will never call that game a layup for Kentucky based that's on fair. their history against Tennessee.
1: I went down there and boat raced them last year in, in Knoxville. And that's, this is true. Know, and this, this is, is it's a worst team this year.
0: Yeah. So I, again, I don't like that bet at all at minus 140 to go over the seven, but I can no. certainly talk myself into UK getting eight wins this year.
1: Yeah, I, I can do it. Um, and I'm probably going to do it, like I said, just because it gives me the rooting interest for my team. Um, but yeah it's it, that, that's a, that, that number going to six, six and a half I felt good about seven. I could find you five wins in my mind automatically and then I'm asking for 25050s to go my way. I think I can do that.
0: I don't know if you're getting into any other props or anything like that I'm interested in hearing about that but I've got a few quick stats for you here coming from some of the sports books. Caesar sportsbook put out the Heisman trophy players receiving the most bets Number five on that list, Cincinnati quarterback, Desmond Ritter. You know it, why? Because great odds. Because the
1: value. I think the we he, talked about that. 50 we, to one. Yeah, we talked. Well, he was, I think he was 28 or 30 to one when we talked about this. This is from a different book. We did right. this maybe a month ago when some of these odds started coming out. Yeah, I think that was and points, even, but. Yeah, and I think you and I both agree that was even a pretty good value then. Because, again, if we think UC has a chance to run the table, get to the college football playoff, it Desmond Ritter is going to be a big part of that. And the odds were worth it at 50 to one. Hell yeah. It's worth it. Yes. Again, I'm not asking you to put a hundred bucks on it to win five grand, put 10 bucks on it to win 500. Sure. I can put a, put a 10 spot on it just for blanks and giggles. And, and cause there's a, there's a, there's a nice possibility that happens. There's not like a, it's not like a pipe dream that, Oh, I, I love Des Ritter. He's my quarterback. Cause he goes to UC I'm going to do it because he's my, no, I mean, if you want to go logical and start looking, going, they can run the table and be in the national championship. He's going to be a part of that. And in a year where there's no, in my opinion, clear... I mean, there's some guys at the top of the list. Spencer Rattler is up there. DJ um,
0: Ugalele from yeah, Clemson is the favorite, yeah. even though but, he's but, done nothing. But here's
1: the, here's the thing. Oklahoma always craps on itself, and that's going to probably cost Spencer Rattler. And right, and Ugalele hasn't done anything. There's no clear-cut guy in my mind going
0: yeah. in. So. And then after that, it's like really up for grabs. Yes. I mean, like CJ I mean, Stroud, up Daniels, there, right, Yeah, right. like those guys to me are not... Definitely not clear-cut Heisman favorites. And that's the one thing about... Desmond Ritter that's different from all these other guys aside from Spencer Rattler to me Spencer Rattler is the overwhelming favorite because Because he's going to put up numbers and he has the name already a lot of times the Heisman going in has the name it's not the guy who bursts onto the scene he's going to get it the following year it's the guy who already burst on the scene that puts up the monster numbers and the two guys on this list that look like that are Desmond Ritter and Spencer Rattler now Desmond Ritter is going to have to have an unbelievable year,
1: whereas Spencer Radler probably just Listen, has to be pretty good. You know, the big game for him is obviously, because it's a national television audience on NBC, that Notre Dame game. If Desmond 100%. Ritter plays lights out in that Notre Dame game, because the other part is at that point, then it's early enough in the year to where suddenly his name gets really vaulted up there, because yeah. here's now, let's just assume for argument's sake, here's 4-0 Cincinnati, just won at Indiana. Desmond Ritter had a good game, just won Notre Dame. Desmond Ritter had a big game. And then he's going to get a chance to, I don't want to say pad his stats. But really but ball out. Yeah. Yes, against the conference teams. Yeah, I love the value there. Love it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. That that didn't really shock me to see. But once you start talking yourself into it, it's, it really makes a lot more sense there. And I can totally see him as as a guy that you're going to. Like you said, waste a ten or twenty spot on here if you're you're betting some props. Just to go through that list, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma is number one at six to one odds, receiving the most bets. Ohio State quarterback CJ Stroud, fourteen to one, he's got the second most bets. Georgia quarterback JT Daniels, twelve to one, has the third most bets, and Texas running back Bijan Robinson, yep. twenty five to one odds, has the fourth most. So again, these aren't the guys with the best odds; these are the guys getting the most amount of bets because they have a little bit of value. Also, uh, another stat that came out here with some local interest, top five college football coaches against the spread in their career with a minimum of 20 games coached. Number one on that list is Ohio State's Ryan Day. He's covered 70% of his games that he's coached in so far with the Buckeyes, 14 and 6. I will say, though, two years ago, they didn't cover just one time. So five of those came in last year's games. So it's a little bit uneven there in terms of how that has come out. He hasn't been consistently dominating and covering every game. It was two years ago. They had an unbelievable year where they covered pretty much every single game except for the first game of the year. And then last year they had five games where they didn't cover. So it was about 50-50, uh, just a note which, there. Which,
1: which, is, which is probably normal, right? But I will right. say this. He, he, and I don't mean this in a bad way. He keeps the gas pedal on for a yep. good chunk of time. And then they're so, they've got so much good depth. That when you're going, um, I think what CJ Stroud, if I'm not mistaken, played one snap last year, and on the one snap, I don't, I think he was not supposed to do this, but he took off and ran 48 yards for a touchdown. So, you know, you got that too. You're talking about putting your third string running backs in and your backup quarterbacks in at Ohio State. Those guys are pretty damn good. So, well,
0: especially this year where CJ Stroud wasn't like the clear cut right guy, and now they've got this uh, the the high school kid that came in, yeah, Quinn yeah, so. Who knows? You know, I mean, they could have some real talent there behind C.J. Stroud, yeah. so there's certainly a team to to watch for for those covers. As you said, Ryan Day is all about it, and then the best under coaches with a minimum of twenty games coached. Number five on that list, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle. The Bearcats have gone under in fifty nine point seven percent of the games that Luke Fickle has coached. Twenty five yeah. to thirty seven
1: yeah the one thing I would say to that though is I may transfer that under number to Notre Dame now. I'm gonna call that the Marcus Freeman factor and I good will point. tell you I it's will really say I, I will say the one thing about Brian Kelly as much as he gets the offensive guru label you know, they are kind of a methodical offense, right? I mean, he likes to line up in the eye and run the football and and yeah, they'll throw it, and, but they don't throw it 60 times a game and um, they're not overly dynamic on offense. He's had obviously very good offenses because they've had great success under Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, but you factor in Marcus Freeman with with kind of Brian Kelly's I don't want to say it's a methodical style. It's kind of an NFL style, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I can see that under number getting transferred to Notre Dame this year.
0: It's a really good point. So Keep an eye on Notre Dame unders for sure as well. Cause Freeman is a difference maker there on the defensive yep. side. All right. skinny. So anything else uh, from a betting perspective that you're looking no, at. Those as are all good. You,
1: you, you've talked me and I'm not a big prop guy, although I, I do like, you know, so I, I, I play like series props as I mentioned in the NBA, but I, I think I've got to put some money on a couple of Heisman guys. I kind of like Spencer Rattler at six to one. I mean, if you gave me hundred bucks, I'm putting 50 there. That gets me 300. I'm going to put at least 10 on Des. That gives me a chance to win 500. I'll spread another 20 out on a couple other guys. I feel pretty good about my Heisman chances. And then I, I just the win totals are really intriguing to me. I, I think I may have to play them, A, just because it'll be a good podcast fodder to continue to talk about. Always
0: good for content. That's what we love about the yep. betting segment. Yep.
1: All right, let's do some Ask any, Anything,
0: and we will start off with a sports question like we always do. And this came from my guy Dan on Twitter. He, he tweeted this out, and we kind of talked about it, so it would make for a good question. So I'll get your thoughts here. Uh, he's, he said, statistical optimization in sports, especially baseball and basketball, is a pernicious trend that is making everything less entertaining and less fun. I did look up pernicious. It, it means harmful. <laughs>
1: it's well done. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah. But Kenny, your thoughts on just that in general, the the statistical optimization in basketball, baseball, making the games less fun.
1: I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I, you know, I. I Watching an NBA game is not all that much fun for me. It just—it looks like just a giant game of horse. Um, I get it. I mean, I, I understand why they're doing it, but me understanding why they're doing it and me enjoying it are two completely different things. And I think some, to some degree the, the, in baseball, between the shift and between the fact of don't need to bunt to give up and out or don't need to hit and run because you might get a guy thrown out stealing, it just takes away from the action. There's less action. And again, I get it. But I think from that perspective of the way he's asked the question, yeah, I think it absolutely has taken away a lot of the fun of it. At least it has for me.
0: Yeah, I think there's two big ways it's done that. One is exactly what you're pointing to, which is there's just less styles. There's less varied styles of play in the sports. You know, there's there's not the small ball teams in baseball anymore. There's not the teams hitting and running, butting guys over and stealing bases. Ricky Henderson wouldn't hold the value in today's game like he did back in his heyday.
1: Oh, he still would have because he walked a bunch, though. He still got on base. He was oh, on base 100%, machine. 100%, but you wouldn't let him steal all no, around right. the bases like you used to. Although, you know? I mean, although, was, ain't, let me tell you, ain't nobody telling Ricky what to do. Ricky, gonna sure. do Ricky, Ricky gonna do what Ricky
0: wanna do. But, but you get my point. I mean, he yes, just wouldn't yes, be looked at in yes. the same way that he, I mean, he was one of the game's best all time. And now we would look at him as like a a, a guy that you can't fully utilize essentially.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the one thing I would tell you is I still wish this would be done from an OPS perspective, because that's what all we ever talk about. And we do talk about runs created and, and war and all those crazy things. I I wish that, that statistically you would start adding a total base when you do total bases, which factors into slugging percentage. I wish you'd factor in a stolen base. And if a guy steals a base Um, what's the difference between a guy stretching a a single into a double gets credit for for two bases, right? Why wouldn't a guy who walked or got a single and then took another base, why would that not add to his total bases? And then I would also tell you that if he got thrown out, stealing, you take a total base away from him, that he got a single, he's on first, that's one total base, but then he lost that total base by stealing second. Then maybe we can start to look at the numbers and go, you know what? Stealing a base ain't all that bad after all.
0: Well, and then in basketball, you've got, like you said, everything's become space it out, everything's shoot threes. Five, five,
1: five out, downhill, kick to a kick to a three.
0: It's all Get ball it. sc- ball screens and shooting threes. And it's like, I, I don't dislike that style of play. Like I loved watching the Warriors as they came to power and they were really fun to watch, but they were fun to watch because it was they were new, different and they were playing a different style. I still like guys that came through the lane and tried to dunk on you. I still like throwing it into a seven foot center that could dominate the post occasionally. I'm not saying it's the best way to play. I understand why teams don't want to do it, but it was more fun to watch when there were different teams trying to play different styles. And there was more of a, a cat and mouse, a matchup game, uh, things to talk about before the game with different lineups and, and how are they going to stop this? Now it's everyone's, it's just basically check the three point shooting percentages. Yes, that'll tell you who's going to win most games now is is whoever shoots better from three-point range. And and again, it's not that I think it's the wrong way to play. It's just not quite as fun. I I think it's really made sports less fun from a fan's perspective, too, though, just from a way you talk about it. Like, to talk about baseball now, it's like, well, hold on. Let me pull up baseball reference and check this guy's history and see what his OPS is and all this other... Like, I need to know... Five other stats that no one's going to know off the top of their head before I can even talk intelligently and, and guess about what? anything to do with the sport. It's just and not guess, as fun.
1: And guess what? The average fan, the average fan doesn't know about those numbers, doesn't, doesn't care game. about those numbers. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't care one iota. They just want to be in, be, watch it from an entertainment value perspective. And right. I'm the same way with the NBA. I, this sounds. T- I mean, I watch the playoffs intently because I again, playoff any sport, any sport playoff wise is just so much better, right or wrong. And that's just not that's not a knock just on the NBA, but it's just it's just better and different. But the the thing was, there's a lot of times I'm watching. I'm going, well, all I'm watching to see here is get me to the fourth quarter and figure out who's shooting the best, and then I can watch. And then there's some entertainment. Other than the first part of it, I'm just watching to see you make shots. I mean, is, I can I can watch an open practice and watch guys make shots. I mean, it just it doesn't do much for me.
0: And and I I, I really think too, you know, it, it's especially baseball. Baseball is really bad about this. And the fans are really bad about it. It's like, it's a bunch of just sticking your nose up at everyone. Tell them they're too stupid to understand. And they don't know what they're talking about. Basically when you talk yes. to anyone about baseball anymore, because it's all about these weird, obscure numbers. And I'm not saying they're wrong. Like I understand why those things should be valued more. It just doesn't make the game fun. It's no, not the fun to the, try to talk about it.
1: Yeah. The art of the game is gone. That it, there's no art to it anymore.
0: Yeah. And most of what you say is going to be wrong in how it's viewed by decisions makers in baseball all across the league. It's not just your team or this team and, and arguing with them doesn't make sense. It's how everyone does things. And so if you try to have a conversation or argument about the game of baseball now, it's like, well, hold on, let, let me pull out all my stats here. I can't, I can't have a conversation without knowing what all these numbers are first. And it's like, to, to a extent it's always been that way but it's just different now everything's changed a little bit i think Dan's 100 percent right about that I it's too. Not, no I'm, it's
1: not a great question wrong but it's just not as fun no i think it's it, 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 honestly that's a great great question and i i'm, I'm with I, it, I we i think i think probably Dan gets it we all get it but it doesn't make it fun to watch it doesn't make it as enjoyable to watch so uh, i think we dissed Dan's last question did we not so i'm glad he I, i'm glad he came back with that one because that was a good one
0: yeah, I don't know. We, we give Dan so much crap. We, I know. Time I think we did.
1: I, I think he asked a question that we completely dissed. Um, so oh, Dan,
0: he, he asked us about soccer, and actually he agreed that's with what your was. answer.
1: Oh, okay, good. Okay, yeah. so then I feel better because I, I thought maybe, you know, I, I offended him, but I didn't mean to. So, okay, that, that's good to know. So, this, 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 right or wrong, this was a great question.
0: Yeah, he, he asked us about the um friendly, or not that's friendly, right. the, the U.S.-Mexico right. game coming Qualifier, here next year. Yeah, yeah qualifying. It was one, of, one right. of
1: the biggest events. That's right. Yeah,
0: and you said it was the uh Bengals-Pittsburgh And he agreed. He thought that's the last, the biggest event as well.
1: I thought you gave the better answer, which was, yeah, the biggest game since the Reds game last Thursday. I mean, all
0: right. I know many of us fans can start thinking we could do a better job as a coach GM owner than the actual people in the job. Have you ever encountered a fan that you thought might actually be capable of doing those jobs? And do fans have an accurate idea of what those jobs entail?
1: I I will tell you, I think football fans, and I'm probably included in this too, as a journalist, know less about that sport than any sport. But I also think it's the most overcoached sport a lot of times too. I honestly, Rick, I got into basketball coaching because A, I thought I knew the game and I wanted to challenge myself to do it. And I think I've been pretty successful at it. So I'm thinking that's, and from a base, I coached high school baseball at one point. um, There's a lot more to it than, than, than that. But honestly, I've always thought, and I this is going to sound terribly arrogant, I always thought I could be in a major league dugout and if that team has the the, the right time, I will, I will, I will find them five extra wins. I will get that team to the playoffs. I, I that sounds arrogant and silly and you can, people can laugh at it. That's fine. I'm just telling you my own opinion of it. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of fans that could probably manage baseball. And there's a lot of people that could probably go coach basketball. Now there's different levels of that. There's no question about it, but football, you know, we don't we don't get a chance to break down film like coaches do we don't know what guys are supposed to do on each specific play we just see the end result a lot of times i mean we may see a guard get beat where really his role was to pick up the twisting the twisting end and and he did his job and then tried to go bail his buddy out and and he looks bad because then he's the last guy to get beat before the quarterback gets hit so we don't know that. I think that's the one sport that I think most fans and most people watching, I think we love, you know, everybody loves football, but truth be told, that's one of those I I usually defer to the, I can have my criticisms of it. We can ask questions of it and they're not infallible. They don't not make mistakes. And uh, I like those coaches that will occasionally admit those mistakes and admit that they needed to do that. That's fine. That makes you human. That's the one sport to me that I think is really difficult to comprehend if you don't, if you don't actually coach it.
0: I think that's right. I also think across all sports, coaches, journalists in the sport, uh, people that played the sport will always try to make fans feel dumb and like yeah, they and don't I, know I, what's I, going I, and, on. Yeah, and, and I don't
1: like I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm
0: with you on that. And I, I think for the most part it's bogus. Football probably has the best case there in that a lot of people really don't know. No, I will uh, say, even your base there, there, defenses, like what's going on in a 4-3 yeah, versus when they go to a 5-2 or a nickel. or
1: Yeah, and there are also some fans too, though, that, that, that I will tell you that will make a case about something and you try to give them a logical answer for why that possibly happened. And they think you're dumb. And it's like, no, here's why the coach did it. I'm not telling you, I like what the coach did, but here's why they did it. They they don't like to hear that answer either. So those are the people I don't, I don't pay much attention to, but yeah, for the most part, I don't think fans should be made to feel dumb because they, they, they think they know and don't. And, and football is the one that I, I get. It's, it's a, it, it looks easy to critique and it looks like, why did that not happen? And why did he not throw the ball to that guy open? Well, maybe that was his fourth read and he didn't get to that progression. We don't know. I mean, we don't. Like you said, football, especially, I think
0: I know for a fact, I don't know a lot of the you know things they're trying to accomplish and what everyone's role is. You get into some of the other sports. Baseball is the one where I don't think coaching matters a lick. I really don't I, think, th- it I matters think it's a lot. I all. think it's
1: a lot about, honestly, it's about, I think it's about lineup construction. I think it's about using your bullpen the right way, and it's about relationships. And I think that's uh, right or wrong. I didn't like Dusty Baker's lineup construction a lot of time, but the guy is just so good in the clubhouse that that matters in, in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I'm kind of with you on that. I, I, I I'm sorry I don't think managing a baseball team is all that difficult. I just don't.
0: No, I I don't think there's really any coaching involved. I think, like well, you I, said, there's a no, lot of no. psychiatrists involved no, in do, keeping guys' no. heads right for 162 games. I,
1: I will tell you, I think there is coaching involved. I mean, I think that's what you got, you know, the line of the shields is terrific with infielders. Um, you know, you got guys that have to do some of those things. I mean, the great Scott Hatterberg story, it was um, oh crap. Who was Ron Washington, who was a coach, ended up being uh, being a manager for the for the Rangers. Ron Washington literally made Scott Hatterberg into a first baseman via coaching. He was a catcher, had never played the inf, had never played first base. They wanted his bat, the Oakland A's did, and he made him a first baseman. And then obviously he came here and played for a couple of years and had a pretty nice little run here as well. So yeah, I think some of those things matter, but on a game-to-game basis, once your roster is set um, on a game-to-game basis, I, I'm sorry, I don't think it's that difficult. I just don't.
0: I think coaching matters the most in football too, not just that it, not that it's the hardest sport to understand and learn everything, but I do think like a good coach makes a bigger difference in a football team than it does in basketball or baseball where to me it's more about having the best talent yes basketball is probably the most interesting one because it's the one i feel like i know the best the one i've been around the most and i think it's equal parts coaches and players will try to make fans feel stupid too often like They know everything. The fans know nothing when it's not always that complicated. You know, like sometimes you've got to change what you're doing. The other team's beating you over and over and you're too stuck in your system. Change what you're doing. It's not that complicated. I think there's a lot of that going on where where coaches and players get too stubborn and they're like, oh, this big grand scheme we have is so important that we're trying to do. We can't go away from it. We stick to our scheme, all that type of stuff. To me, that drives me crazy a little bit. But then I also think basketball feels so easy and everyone has played it. It feels like they know it if they've played it at all to where fans also get mad at coaches for reasons. They have no idea what the hell they're talking about. It's
1: one of my favorite. I think I've told on the podcast, one of my favorite stories, Steve Moeller was an assistant to Huggins, Bob Huggins at UC. And one game, Steve said, you know, they were killing us. We were in man and they were just killing us. And he said, he goes, I try to suggest going zone. He goes, we weren't a big zone team, but we wanted to play some of the zone. You know, we played it He goes. He's. I kept going to him. And finally, turned me, he goes, blank a Moe. I'm not going to make it easy on him. I'm like, yes, you can make it easy. Stop being stubborn.
0: Well, that's how coaches are. And I, you know, there's a lot of that type of stuff that goes back and forth. But I guess to get back to this question, no, I don't think I've met uh, many fans that could actually be coaching uh, professional sports or should actually be coaching professional sports. Are there some people that are knowledgeable enough that would be able to, to be quite honest, it's, to me, it's not as much about, do they know the sport? It's more about like, are they just a sharp person? Can they handle people? Right. Do they make good relationships? Cause if they're good at that, then they're one of those people that can probably figure out most things pretty well. Cause it's mostly about getting people to trust you and being an effective communicator and things like that. And if you do those things well, you can learn the other stuff. It's not all overly complicated. And and let me
1: tell you something. And I, I truly believe this. And I think this is the wrong tact. More and more, it feels like you need to have played the game for the players to trust you and believe in you. I don't think that's always right. And I think that's the other part. I don't think just because you played the game makes anybody a great coach. There's plenty of guys that played the game and don't know how to coach the game. And and we've seen some of those examples, but it feels like more and more. I mean, I'll use the Bengals offensive line coach as an example. Frank Pollock, part of the narrative is, yeah, we believe in Frank because he's done what we've done. We didn't believe in Jim Turner because he didn't. I get that. Well, let me go to Jim McNally, who coached the, the, the Bengals offensive line through the 80s and coached on two Super Bowl teams. Jim McNally didn't play, and players revered that guy because, to his credit, he knew what he was talking about. His stuff worked. He he had great relationships. So I, I don't know if I always buy that concept uh, of it, but it feels like more and more it's, it's getting towards, you better have played the game for us to respect you.
0: There's a lot of that for certain across sports in general, and, and it probably is getting worse. You're right. All right, Skinny, we'll wrap it up with this. Uh, this is also from Dan. He says, one of my lifetime maxims is if you poop yourself, you are done for the day. Just go home and work on tomorrow. Does Skinny have any life maxims?
1: Uh, that's, that's that's not one of them. Although, let me just tell you. On I do agree hot, with that, though. On on these hot Bengals camp days when you're sweating outside, I do carry an extra pair of underwear because there is nothing more uncomfortable than swamp ass. Can we agree with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my nothing god! Nothing more uncomfortable.
1: The last not, two weeks. You know me. Too, you, you know me. 90- I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about pooping yourself. I'm just talking about you. Just you're just. It's just uncomfortable. And there's nothing like a fresh pair of underwear at that point, in my opinion.
0: When you've got 95 with humidity making it feel like 105 in Cincinnati, it's like swamp ass DEFCON level five. I mean, you're in the right to be carrying some extra drawers with you for sure.
1: I don't know how this how I can quantify this, but I am a I am a big believer in luck. And especially when it comes to gambling and I don't play the horses that much anymore, but if I have a down day, I might play my twin spires account. You know, I'll have a hundred, hundred bucks in there. or So, and you can tell pretty quickly when it's not your day and you just kind of let it drain out and you go, all right, I'm done for the day. But on those days when for whatever reason, you're getting every photo finish for whatever reason, you, you, the six to one shot that you might've handicapped the day before that you thought was a great six to one shot finishes up the track. And you're starting to get those home and you're starting to stack together some pick threes and pick fours. I'm a big believer that you better just keep riding that thing out until you. I, the biggest win day of my life, and I'm not going to tell you how much I won, but it started out on a Bengals bye week where I had a day off. I put a couple hundred bucks in my Twin Spires. I thought, I got a few days here. I'm going to try to make it last. And I rode that thing one day to the point where I just threw blindly numbers together at the end of the night in a trifecta at Hawthorne Park and literally took down the pool. Now, there wasn't much in the pool, unfortunately. I literally just played. I boxed evens, two, four, six, eight, and I boxed odds. One three five seven, and it came in the even numbers, and they were all bombs. Just did it for blanks. I'm a big believer that if you're, if the luck is with you that day, you better damn well ride it out, man, because you ain't getting a lot of days like that. Now you're going to have some good days and bad days. Man, I wake up and have some really good days just in life in general. There's some days, obviously, we always have that just didn't start well and it probably ain't going to end well. But I'm just talking on those days when everything's going right, especially when it comes to that, find a way to ride it out, man.
0: I'm a get, I'm a big get hot, stay hot guy. Sounds like that's. Similar theory yep. right there. When when it's working, you just got to roll with it. The problem with that is I always turn it into you got to get hot to stay hot. So well, when right. I'm going I, that, bad, I just keep pumping, baby. Well, see, that's what I don't eventually.
1: do. I, I'm pretty good at setting that limit for whatever that day is. And when that limit is reached, all right, I'm done. Yeah,
0: but there's always another. Day. I,
1: yeah, no, yeah. I, I used to back in my, I call it the degenerate days. And I've long past those days. Thank goodness. I chased a lot. I mean, there we all chased. Um, and a couple of times I got lucky when I chased, but more times than not you chased and it made it worse. And that it just got to the point of Nat, I got the limit now I'm good with my limit. Um, you know, I, I, can, I can put a $20 parlay in one day, walk away and win or lose. I feel still pretty good. That it was just 20 bucks that I'm going to find a way to re-earn and I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, but those days when things are going right, um, and I, I've done it too. There's been days where I've hit a couple of tickets sitting at home and go, you know what, I need to put a little bit more on this game and I got to drive back over to do it. And guess what? I'm going to do it because it just feels like it's one of those days. Any other life
0: maxims that you have, Skinny?
1: Um, <laughs> kind of with you. If you poop yourself, you probably should call it a day.
0: Yeah, no, I think Dan no, has no. a really good one there. Like that's just a straight. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. If you poop yourself, you just go home. It's like, yeah, I'm going back to bed. We'll try it yeah. again tomorrow.
1: Yeah, that's a. I, 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 yeah, I don't have any maxims that can compare to that. That's that, that's kind of top of the list. I think no, that's, I think those are great words to live by. If you poop yourself, call it a day.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the problem with that question is Dan started off so strong. <laughs> it's like when you've got the ultimate life maxim, right? What else right. do you, what else really needs to be said? You got any others? No, I really don't. Nothing that compares to that. That's for yeah, sure. You no, know, it's,
1: it's a good point.
0: It's like, what am I going to say? Work hard in everything you do yeah, or something now? It's yeah, like too right, late for that. I'm, yeah. Give we're talking go- about pooping
1: don't give me that silly that silliness now yeah, you're right uh, yeah. well done all right rick good so stuff is as always Ted lasso yeah exactly uh, all right we'll be back next week we've got uh, some real college football games of local interest to discuss next week we will be one week closer to the start of the nfl season with that weird kind of week in between off we'll know the bengals roster at the point we're talking about this next week hopefully we'll know that joe burrow is upright after his preseason debut in which he won't do much And much, much more. We'll talk about that on next week's podcast. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition, brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.